Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, and especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. The military-industrial complex not only controls our government, but they control our culture. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Pray on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. You can deny all the things I've seen, all the things I've discovered, but not for much longer, because too many others know what's happening out there. And no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. It's about time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. 
Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects, vast and cool and unsympathetic, regarded our planet with envious eyes. Each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. You are tuned into the Secret Teachings Radio Show, and I'm your host, Ryan Gable. Thank you for tuning into the broadcast this evening. If you'd like to contact us, the email is rdgable at yahoo.com. That's r-d-g-a-b-l-e at yahoo.com. Our website, www.thesecretteachings.info, where you can find our show archive and my books and more. And the social media page, facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings. Tonight I'm going to be sharing with you another mysterious story, something that you can determine for yourself if it makes sense, if it's true, and if it has any relationship to all the stories we hear about ancient civilizations and ancient technologies a story that has been popularized by some authors and some researchers, debunked or promoted as something that is factual. Just like any other story, this story tonight has all the signs of what I would consider to be not a full-scale cover-up, but a slight cover-up something that was never fully accepted by the mainstream archaeological community, but was never fully debunked and never fully proven to be inaccurate, proven to be wrong, etc. And I got to thinking about this subject. I'll tell you what it is in a moment. I want to take you through my thought process first. Because I've had a chance to go to the Grand Canyon three, maybe four times now. One time I just kind of drove through it pretty quickly. I've been there three or four times. Two times I've been there for more than a few hours. And you drive around, in my case, the southern rim of the Grand Canyon. I plan on going to the north rim at some point. And this thing is massive. You hear about the Grand Canyon on television, documentaries, watch nature TV shows, maybe they show you that, or national parks. The Grand Canyon, as you know, is immense. In fact, it's so immense that when you look at it, it really doesn't seem like you're looking at physical reality. It looks like a painting. It looks like something that's surreal, that can't be what you're seeing with your own eyes because it's so massive, the width and the depth of it. If you go to the southern rim of the Grand Canyon, you go to a place called the the Watchtower. They have little devices that you can look through, little telescopes that you can look through, and you can see the river down below, 
And if you look through that telescope, it doesn't necessarily look like it's a far drop because it's so massive. But people, full-size adults in boats going down the river, just look like these teeny tiny specks even when you magnify your vision. You know the Grand Canyon is immense. It's massive. The Grand Canyon is one of the natural wonders of our world. It is also probably one of the most visited national parks. It's one of the most visited locations, a natural formation other than Yosemite or Yellowstone. The Grand Canyon is the Grand Canyon, and it's so grand you really can't process it. Now, if you go just south of the Grand Canyon, you go down through Flagstaff, you get to a place just east of Flagstaff called Walnut Canyon. And it's a national monument, so if you have one of those park passes, you can get in there. And I've been there twice now. The first time I went and everything was very open to the public, the second time I went on my recent trip, Things were sort of closed, but you could still take the little hike. It's about a 2-mile, 2.1-mile hike, I think, something like that. You go down into the canyon, and you walk around this area that they have made a path on, and you can see these habitations of a people that used to live there. And it's been estimated that these people live there around... Uh, CE 600 until 1400, uh, a prehistoric culture. And um, the people that lived there, you can see they basically lived inside of the canyon, but not just in the canyon. They carved out dwellings in the canyon. And it's, it's pretty incredible when you walk down and you can see that some of these dwellings are very well preserved. Others that I had gone in respect, respectfully. I had gone and I had walked in to see, to look up. You can see the, the blackened soot from the fires. It's very well preserved. I guess people went there and were dumb, so they had to block some of that off, and you're not allowed to go in some of these places anymore. And even before it became a, a, a national monument and protected by the federal government, people went there and took souvenirs and broke things and there were hooligans in the early 20th century, just like there are people that do that now to Walnut Canyon or the Joshua Trees, uh, which when I went to see the Joshua Tree Forest again, there were hardly any Joshua Trees when I drove through. It was a 40-minute drive, hardly anything. A lot of them, I guess, had been broken or damaged when there was that there was that um, series of incidences a couple of years ago. People just went into the park and they defecated and they, they smashed the trees very, very sad, but Walnut Canyon is really incredible, and Walnut Canyon's much smaller than the Grand Canyon. So you can almost appreciate it more than the Grand Canyon. You don't need as much time to see it. It's a very quick trip, maybe an hour and a half to really take it all in. But everything there is on the surface. You can look out from the pathway that takes you down into the canyon from the little federal building they have there. They do have, I think they have elevators too, but they have um, this pathway that you go down and you can see different parts of the canyon. There's two ways to go, but it loops you back around. And you can see 
across the canyon carved out homes. And you can see those on both sides of the canyon. And there's little inscriptions that tell you uh, what archaeologists and historians, at least what they believe, was the lifestyle of these people. It's their best guess based on the archaeological records, based on what they've excavated, based on what was available uh, when this place was was preserved. I'm sure a lot of it had uh, has has been for sure, but a lot of it has been uh, lost. Now, archaeologists labeled the culture Sinagua or Sinagua. I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce it. It's from an old Spanish name for the region, Sierra de Singangua, or the mountains without water. So this is up near Flagstaff. So when you go to Walnut Canyon, if you're going to go to the Grand Canyon, you have to go to Walnut Canyon to see it and kind of get the perspective of these two locations. Now, Walnut Canyon is one of those places you go, and no one is disputing that there were people that lived in Walnut Canyon because you can see the dwellings, these partial caves that were, uh, I don't know how much they were dug out, but there's, there's natural rock facings that they had used clay and, and, and clay-like bricks that are still there, and they had built these little dwellings. Others had been carved more so out of the, the, the actual landscape itself, and it's assumed that there were there's, there's various communities that lived here, and each room had its own purpose. There was probably a room for food and keeping uh, whatever. I mean, it's assumed they were, they were, they were um, agricultural. They were growing grains up above the canyon, and they had storage rooms for that. Nobody is disputing that. Uh, the evidence is overwhelming. It's assumed that people lived there. Uh, and that they they cultivated uh, various forms of foods like corn and squash and beans and things like that. Now, when it comes to the Grand Canyon, it's a little bit different. Nobody really thinks, and you're not taught anywhere in literature. There's nothing that I got from the Grand Canyon any of the times that I've gone there that mentioned anything about the dwellings of ancient or near-ancient inhabitants. And now I find that interesting because there certainly were people who lived in and around the Grand Canyon, and they lived there uh, for a very long time. And, I mean, the the native people, uh, there's debates, I suppose, on where exactly what we call Native Americans, and I myself have a lot of ancestry uh, from what I understand uh, Navajo uh, is uh, most of my my background, but when you you look into the Grand Canyon, you don't really hear a lot about that. Now, some people might say, "Well, that's because the white man tried to whitewash the history of the people who lived there." And I don't buy that because if the white man tried to do that, wouldn't the white man have whitewashed the history of Walnut Canyon and all of the other places? like Montezuma's Castle, which is, I, I think that's in Arizona, northern Arizona, wouldn't the white man have tried to eliminate all of that? You know, is there no is there no white man who tried to preserve any history, any culture, just white men destroyed everything? That's just absolutely preposterous. Uh, but nonetheless, there were certainly people who lived in and around the Grand Canyon. And this place is so massive, just it's so immense, that 
the, the people that lived in Walnut Canyon did so because it provided protection. Uh, you know, it was a lot more difficult to, um, if, if these people were to be attacked, to attack a people that were basically living on a cliff inside of the cliff. Uh, it also provided protection mostly from, you know, natural predators that were not other tribes or, you know, humans. And uh, it would provide a sense of security. So people lived there, kind of like, um, I haven't seen this movie forever, but The Time Machine. Uh, I remember the people, like, way, way, way in the future, they lived on, like, the side of um, of a cliff in those little houses that they had constructed, like, rudimentary houses that they constructed. And then they do it because it was for safety, right? So that all makes sense. But people certainly lived in the Grand Canyon. But you don't hear about that. You don't read about that. I picked up... A bunch of pamphlets. I collected pamphlets. We, we collected pamphlets from every national park we went to, uh, from the Grand Canyon and Walnut Canyon to Segura uh, to the Joshua Tree to the Everglades. And uh, there's no mention in any of these pamphlets um, about a civilization, about a, a people. I mean, you're going to find references to that if you really go digging for it. But it's not like Walnut Canyon or any of the other places you might go where they talk about the native inhabitants, where they talk about, you know, or they have paintings and etchings of what they believe the people who who live there, what they look like and what they did. One thing that was always curious to me is when you have a history and you have a story that when you bring it to public attention, something that's old, and something that's old that is referencing something ancient, let's say, and you bring that to the public's attention today, you kind of get a mixed reaction. You get people that immediately, they have no other information on the subject, they just immediately reject it. That's impossible. You have other people that, because they don't believe in or they don't trust Official sources of information, it doesn't matter if it's the White House, the Pentagon, doesn't matter if it's Fox News, CNN, it doesn't matter if it's the Smithsonian, they're just not going to believe it at all, which I think is equally as ignorant, as arrogant even, and preposterous. I think that there needs to be some balance, and I think that there needs to be an investigation. You can do an individual investigation, do a little research, and find out what is, let's say, more accurate or more true. There's a story that goes back to the early 1900s, 1909, April 5th, from the Arizona Gazette. And every time I go to the Grand Canyon, I always have this story in the back of my head. I went uh, by myself one time. I kind of talked to myself about the story. I remembered it. I did some radio on it. I went with my friend Teresa uh, from Canada after we went to a conference in California a few years ago, it was the Contact in the Desert Conference, which I think is virtual this year. It's coming up in a few weeks. And uh, I told her we talked about that story about G.E. Kincaid and the expedition into the Grand Canyon and what was found there, supposedly. And uh, then this time I went with Hope, my fiance, and, and we talked a little bit about that as well. It's just not something you hear about. And it's immediately dismissed or immediately accepted tonight. I want to look at it from a balanced approach. And not only that, but I want to bring to your attention a number of other either historical 
oddities or anomalous finds that just sort of rewrite the archaeological doctrine and history. I want to do that to bring your attention to these unseen things, just like I brought your attention last night to the Idaho National Laboratory. All that's in the archive, thesecretteachings.info. I'm Ryan Gable, and there's more after this. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM, where you can catch The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable five nights a week after Lighting the Void with Joe Rook. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hear more while supporting the show, visit our website at www.thesecretteachings.info and subscribe to our show archive. As a yearly subscriber, you can download and stream every show after it airs and get access to the digital versions of each one of my books. For the month of June, home of the summer solstice, you can submit a one-time donation of only $45 and get a free physical copy of one of my books with free shipping. For those of you who want to consistently support the show, you can subscribe for a monthly donation and get the same access to the archive. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on the donation subscribe tab at the top of the page. If you're just interested in the books, you can find each one of those on the website as well. And if you have any questions, you can email me at rdgable at yahoo.com. Thank you so much for supporting The Secret Teachings over the years. I look forward to keeping you company through all the late nights and early mornings for many years to come. My name is Alex Exum, and you're listening to The Fringe FM. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in Paranormal Talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now, the Paranormal Radio app free in google play and the ios app store do you want to know more about this strange and weird reality we live in join me jess rogie the host of the rogie report where we explore the unrevealed every wednesday night alive at 6 p.m pacific 9 p.m eastern here on the fringe fm ktlk digital broadcasting This is Kev Baker of The Kev Baker Show. You can find me at Truth Frequency Radio or on my home website, www.kevbakershow.com. And you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. The truth is out there. And so are we. KTLK. Digital Broadcasting. The Fringe FM. This is Michael Strange from Troubled Minds. Did you hear that scientists recently discovered radio waves coming from Proxima Centauri? Well, I cannot confirm nor deny we are broadcasting from that neck of the woods. You are listening to KTLK, The Fringe FM. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is The Secret Teachings Radio on The Fringe FM. Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell. My website is jordanmaxwellshow.com, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Excellent shows. Keep listening with your host, Ryan Gable. 
If you want the most unique blend of subjects anywhere on radio, from parapsychology, pop conspiracy, parapolitics, the paranormal, and symbolism, look no further than The Secret Teachings, airing Monday through Friday right here on The Fringe FM. Our topics, themes, and perspectives are not bogged down by rhetoric or ideological collective associations. It's just raw thought and consciousness. Check us out by visiting our website at thesecretteachings.info or the network fringe.fm. So most of you know, if you listen to The Secret Teachings, one of my deep passions is the desert. I love the American Southwest. I really love any desert. I feel drawn to the desert. I'm really uncertain what it is about the desert that draws me there. But I got a chance to go back to the Southwest last month on our cross-country road trip. It is the... I say three or four. I can't honestly remember. I've taken a lot of trips in my young life, out 30 years old, and I think I've been there three or four times to the Grand Canyon. I've been to Walnut Canyon at least two times. This was my second official time going. I might have gone there again. I don't fully remember. I've got just stacks and stacks of pamphlets from places I visited. Might sound hard to believe, but I know I've been there before. I just don't remember how many times Walnut Canyon is pretty incredible south of the Grand Canyon. I think it's southeast of the Grand Canyon. And in Walnut Canyon, you have the history of a people who lived there. They basically lived like inside of the canyon, protected from predators, protected from other tribes, protected even from the elements. They kind of built their dwellings into the the rock wall. Some of it's carved out. Some of it's uh, a makeshift structure. But they built it very nice clay, bricks, things like that. And you hear about that, and you read about that, and you can go other places like Montezuma Castle, which to me really wasn't worth the the 10 or 15 maybe $20 you have to pay to go see it, but it is an incredible piece of history that's very well preserved. I guess on that basis alone, it's worth the money. There, is, there are so many places in the United States to go and to travel. I'm not really known as a travel guy, But I do like traveling, and I've been to a lot of incredible places. I just don't talk about it a lot. But one thing that really intrigued me when I went to the Grand Canyon was I saw for the first time in person what everybody's always talking about. But I saw something more than what everybody's always talking about. You've got to go to the Grand Canyon. I saw the potential for the rewriting of human history. Not the potential of something that we can change because we want to, but the rewriting of something that could change based on incredible suppressed and omitted information. What I mean by that is when you go to the Grand Canyon, it's so big you can't determine what's really going on. It looks like a painting. It looks looks fake is what it looks like. And I'm sure... There's somebody on YouTube who claims the Grand Canyon is fake. I, you know, the 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 people like David Wilcock, you know, basically David Wilcock is like the Joe Mulhotten of the 21st century. All right, let's just be honest. And people like that like to make up stories. Okay, 
I'm not sure if somebody I heard say one time the Grand Canyon was formed with nuclear weapons. I, where these people are getting these ideas, I don't know, but there are less crazy ideas in some of the wildest sci-fi channel shows or movies that you watch. Nonetheless, I go to the Grand Canyon, and I always think about this incredible story I heard about artifacts that were found in the Grand Canyon. And not just any artifacts, they're sort of bizarre because they don't really belong in the Grand Canyon. But that idea that they don't really belong is based on the notion that our archaeological record and our history is sound and it's secure and that there are no missing pieces. In reality, that's not the case. There's clearly a tremendous amount of history. There's a tremendous amount of archaeology or things that archaeologists have missed. There are things that have been recorded to have just been thrown out. People that have witnessed the Smithsonian University simply removing data, content, artifacts, because it doesn't align with a narrative. It's not some malicious conspiracy. It's not even, it's not malevolence. It's just, it's really, I honestly think, I think it's ego. You know, you couldn't possibly be wrong. You went to school for this. You spent many years in school. You paid a lot of money. There's a whole institution built around this idea. And that goes for anything, whether it's Egyptologists and there's a religious angle there too because of the belief of the age of the earth and therefore some civilizations or some structures can't be this old because it conflicts with my religion, the Bible, the Quran, assumptions, beliefs. It's very, very, very complicated when you start to break it all down. But, you know, you can look into something, for example, like uh, the Tucson-led artifacts. The Tucson-led artifacts, Tucson's in Arizona, uh, about four hours, something like that, maybe four and a half, five almost, south of the Grand Canyon. And uh, the Tucson-led artifacts includes crosses, artifacts uh, known as Silver Bell, one of the names of them, uh, there were supposedly 31 objects found by a Charles Menier and his family in 1924 near Picture Rocks, Arizona. And they were thought to have been created by an early Mediterranean civilization. Officially, they're considered a hoax. However, they actually exist. And the last time I checked, you can go to a museum. I think they have some on display uh, in Arizona. And uh, it's incredible. These artifacts rewrite our ideas of history because the crosses, the swords, the religious paraphernalia, they bore Hebrew and Latin inscriptions. They had an image of what some described as a dinosaur or what most likely was a larger lizard, probably something you might see out in the Tucson area. And everybody claims that it's just a colossal hoax. It's a magnificent hoax. It's like, okay. There are all of these stories throughout at least the 20th century 
about hoaxes that were perpetuated, a lot of them in the American Southwest. And people were referred to, to hoaxers and people that are considered liars like Joe Mulhotten, who died in 1913. From the information we know about this man, he was an alcoholic and a, he was a drunk and a psychotic, although psychiatry has changed its definition of that word over the last hundred years. Things like the Tucson lead artifacts, nevertheless, hoax or otherwise, give us a glimpse and give us an idea that there might have been some form of pre-Columbian contact with what we call the Americas. Now, when you read the works of people like David Childress or Jared Murphy, who we've had on the show before, people like Graham Hancock, respectable researchers like Graham Hancock. I mean, Graham Hancock is uh, is a legend. Um, they don't speak to you in riddles, and they don't speak to you with assumptions and presumptions and, you know, shoddy research. Um, they, they are very meticulous with the research. I mean, if you know Graham Hancock, you know what I'm talking about. There are so many people like Graham Hancock. I liked the work of M. Don Shorn, a gentleman who just simply researched in a bunch of old books and put together an incredible book series. His first book in the series talks about things like anonymous uh, artifacts and uh, things in antiquity that just, they shouldn't be there. I'll give you an example, uh, something that's pretty incredible. In the 20th century, there was excavation being conducted of a mastodon skeleton in Blue Lick Springs, Kentucky. And the depth at which the excavation was proceeding on was below the intermittent level of the animal. Archaeologists there unearthed a prehistoric floor of a building that had been paved with cut tiles. Now, mastodons vanished around the time of the Pleistocene extinction. Any building that was found below that level would have to have been built before 10,000, 10,500 BC. Now that's really old. And we're talking about construction that's very, very meticulous and advanced for that time. Tiled floor, a preserved tiled floor of a, of a building, of a constructed building. I'm not talking about like a Sears Tower, okay, or an Empire State Building, but a building. That alone disputes the official narrative. You look at things, I mean, you can call them hoaxes or whatever you want to call them. Uh, there are the Clerksdorp spheres. Uh, there are these incredible stone spheres found in Costa Rica. Big, big stone spheres. Uh, people like Jared Murphy has spoken about the engineered soil. I mean, these are things that you may have heard of, you may not have heard of. Maybe you've heard of the, the Zimbabwe skull that dates back between 125,000 to 300,000 years. The first fossil be, to be discovered in Africa with homeo or homo sapien characteristics. Um, and the skull has this circular little hole in the side. And when forensic scientists go to look at the hole, 
they find that the only way this hole could have been created was through the interaction of a high-velocity projectile, basically one caused by a bullet, which they determined was really the only thing that could have caused this type of injury to the skull. Now, it's essentially an anomaly, and there likely is another explanation for it. But the skull itself according to the Smithsonian, was the first ever example of a new species of hominid called Homo radiosinensis, I believe is how you pronounce it. And despite the fact that the Smithsonian acknowledged the importance of this skull, people still say, no, that can't be because of a small hole that scientists say can only be caused by a bullet, the Smithsonian doesn't dispute that this skull was found. It's it's a very important piece of the human genetic code and human history. But unless you're a researcher or you read books like this or you listen to radio shows like The Secret Teachings or radio shows like Lighting the Void where you hear a little bit about ancient history and archaeology, and we don't talk about that a, a, a lot on The Secret Teachings, but we do on occasion because these mysteries are really incredible, uh, you probably don't know about this stuff. I mean, I have I have got three books in front of me right now. I've got the book that my friend M. Don Shorn gave to me, part of his book series. I've got uh, a book by David Hatcher Childress that he gave me at a conference, and I've got Jared Murphy's book. I just brought these three books out because they have sections on anomalous artifacts and things like that. And then I remembered the skull with the bullet in it, and what I thought was important was that the Smithsonian acknowledged that this is a very important piece of history, but just kind of overlooks the fact that there's an anomaly in the skull. Okay, now you might think, well, what does any of this have to do with the Grand Canyon? You were talking about the Grand Canyon, then you jumped to Tucson, and then you jumped to this skull found in Zimbabwe. I mean, that's a big jump. Well, this is important. We're laying the groundwork. We're laying the foundation and the tile like this prehistoric floor found in Blue Lick Springs, Kentucky that has to predate 10,500 B.C. at minimal because of the level that it was extracted when they were, when the archaeologists were extracting the, the remains of this mastodon skeleton. So this goes back far. Now, you've probably heard stories, and if you haven't, it's worth a look, it's worth a read, about skeletons that date back millions of years found in an Italian cave, at least one skeleton. Uh, soul imprint, shoe soul imprints found in sediment that look like modern shoes that date back thousands of years or more. Uh, things like uh, golden threads or wires or small metallic cubes. Uh, the clerk store spheres are very, very interesting. Uh, They look as if they've been manufactured. Now, there are things in nature that can manufacture little balls like this, but these have the signs, according to the researchers who have looked at these, that they are actually manufactured in some kind of process that is unnatural. Uh, Yeah, you could be a smartass and say, well, humans did it. Humans were born into this world. They're natural, so it's all natural. It's just a game of semantics if you really want to break it down like that. But the point is, there's so much that the evidence is 
just beyond overwhelming that our history is not what we think it is. And certainly if you're looking into archaeology or if you're looking into ancient civilizations or recent civilizations, obviously a lot of what you get, if you go to a Walnut Canyon, which is in Arizona east of Flagstaff, a very short trip from Flagstaff, a very nice area, it's basically like there's an acknowledgement, yes, people lived here, here's the evidence, we assume that they ate this food, we think that they grew corn and squash and beans, and I'm sure that's because they found evidence of the remnants of that on the outer rim and then inside of some of these dwellings. But it's not something that you can conclusively prove unless you find an an incredible, overwhelming amount of evidence for that particular uh, thing. But we know that these people lived in these conditions, so it's not out of the ordinary for people to live within a canyon and literally inside of a canyon in caverns that are natural and or artificial, a combination of both kind of built up. Now, the story of G.E. Kincaid and what he found in the Grand Canyon in the early 1900s is a story that the Smithsonian dismisses most people in academia dismiss and say there's no evidence to support this, but then provide explanations on how to refute it while providing no evidence to justify their explanations. And there are a number of them, not just from academia, but from other people. And they suggest that the story published in the Arizona Gazette On Monday, April 5th, 1909, titled Explorations in Grand Canyon, Mysteries of Immense Rich Cavern Being Brought to Light. A huge full-page article from the Arizona Gazette detailed something that has only been circulated in a very small number of publications. And people say this was an April Fool's joke. Although it was published on April 5th, you'd imagine that you could have published this as an April Fool's joke, maybe in like a Friday edition or maybe just on April Fool's Day. Why wait to Monday? Well, at the time, newspapers that published very important stories, they'd publish them on a Monday. If the newspaper wanted to bury this story, Just like today, they'd probably publish it, and there were different uh, ways that things were done back in the 1900s, early 1900s or the 20th century. They could have published it on a Friday. People forget about it over the weekend. We're back to whatever on Monday. But they published it on Monday, full page. And that evidence alone is enough, I believe, to refute that it was an April Fool's joke. The Arizona Gazette never had a history according to anything that I can find or any other researcher can find, of perpetuating hoaxes like this. It was also very common then, as it is now, for some researchers and people, it could be scientists, whomever, uh, to have their name spelled slightly differently, abbreviations or something to that effect. 
The other thing is people say, well, it was meant to, and this is a very popular theory, it was meant to increase some kind of financial economic circulation for the newspaper, right? And as a result of that, the newspaper should have made a lot of money, but turns out it didn't, so maybe it was a flop. I mean, if it if it were just about economics, maybe the newspaper would have published more than a single story. Uh, and there was no follow-up on this. So, I mean, I would assume they would have tried at least one more time, uh, even a fa- just a fake story. Didn't happen. Others say it was a, a Latter-day Saint Mormon attempt to prove some belief within their religion, something to the effect of pre-Columbian settlement in the Americas. And I don't think you need this story to prove that. I think you have enough history. I'm not sure how the Mormon church feels about this, but if that's what the Mormons believe, um, I'm certainly in the Mormon camp when it comes to that history, because all you need to do to prove that is study the some of, not all of, but some of the elite bloodlines in Europe at the time and study the Knights Templar, which without question were in the Americas marrying, having weddings, marrying, having children, having families with the native population. Something for a lot of reasons people don't want you to know because these were white men, blonde hair and blue eyes, some of them, Templars that came to America, mated with the native women, and had families with them. And there are native tribes today that still have blonde hair and blue eyes or some uh, version of that, some variation of that. Uh, that That doesn't go so well into the idea that all white people were really, really evil, as if natives didn't scalp each other and murder each other and rape each other. Um Maybe just to get an idea of what that would look like, you could watch Apocalypto when tribes attacked each other. Now, if you're looking to debunk the Arizona Gazette story, uh, the only other theories people have of why it's fake is that there was there was a, a, a guy, one popular guy, who used to print fake stories or make up stories, a Joe... Mulhotten, who died in 1913, and he was, by this time, he died four years later after the story was published, he was an alcoholic and he was seeking psychiatric care. Maybe he published the story. Why would, though, if that were the case, where it was an April Fool's joke, would it be published on a Monday and it would be put onto the full front page and uh, there would never be a follow-up to it? I mean, you would think something like that, even if it was fake would have received some kind of follow-up, especially if it was fake, it would have received a follow-up to kind of support the story. If people didn't believe it, well, here's more evidence, but that didn't happen. To some, that suggests that there was some level of cover-up and some level of of direction given to the newspaper not to publish this. I mean, the Arizona Gazette, was it was a big newspaper. Um, and at the time, uh, a lot of people say there was a, there was a lack of, uh, in this particular story, a lack of bylines in the story. Uh, 
where the newspaper names the writer of the article. The, the reality is, though, at the time, that actually wasn't a process that was adopted by newspapers, even the New York Times, until the 1920s. I mean, 10, 15 years later. It was very uncommon for newspapers to have the name of the author in the article at the time. So I think that is just um, indisputable. Uh, that that is one of the major arguments against the article. It takes a quick search to find that most newspapers didn't have bylines until like the 1920s. Even the New York Times, the New York Times actually rejected by They didn't want the name of journalists to be mentioned in the article. Uh, they fought that for a while before it became pretty much standard practice. So when you go through some of the details of the article and you understand the language at the time and you understand the publication process at the time and how things were done that's the first important part because if it is fake you'd find some sincere severe inconsistencies the reality is with the age of one of the major names the main explorer ge kincaid and the amount of time he worked at the smithsonian reportedly three decades the age aligns with the Smithsonian. It aligns with the other historical components of where he was from. It's something that if you were a hoaxer, it wasn't very common for hoaxers to make their stories this good. So that suggests that there's some level of reality to the Arizona Gazette story, to the G.E. Kincaid story. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to take you through the story when we come back from break here in a moment. And I want to read you some of the things that G.E. Kincaid did and what he supposedly found in the Grand Canyon. And as we know already that the inconsistencies, as people report them, are not really inconsistencies. They're actually easily disputed. Not that I'm trying to prove or disprove something, but if your argument is bylines weren't really, they weren't included and so that makes it fake. Well, that is looking at the past in terms of the present, what people call presentism. Uh, the reality is that wasn't done until the 1920s. It was very common for there not to be a byline. So if you look at those details and you look at what was said, uh, anything really in the article is, I think, that there's evidence of it being accurate, then you have a story that essentially has never really been part of what you would call alternative archaeology. Uh, people have mentioned it in their books, um, and they have talked about it, but the story, I believe, is so incredible, so big, it deserves much more attention. And I think it deserves to be talked about in connection with many other anomalous finds, both artifacts and structures, because even the notion that anything like this could potentially be true really and absolutely rewrites everything we know about history, and especially what we know about what we call American or the Americas, uh, the history of the Americas. So if you want to read this article Partly along with me, all you need to do is type in Arizona Gazette Explorations in Grand Canyon, and you should be able to pull up the original 1909 April 5th article. You can also, as you search for that, look for the skull with the bullet hole, what scientists call a bullet hole, from Africa. And 
you can look up all these other artifacts, the uh, giant stone spheres, the what's called genetic disc. I mean, just something as simple as, you know, Stonehenge or something like the Antikythera mechanism, uh, an incredible, incredible find uh, that divers just happened to come uh, come upon uh, in the wreckage of a Greek cargo ship, uh, at least 2,000 years old, and it, it basically is a computer system, thousands of years old. Uh, this rewrites what we think we know about history, and you can reject it as an archaeologist or as a historian and stick your nose up in the air, as a lot of you are aware that people in academia tend to do. But the reality is, there's a lot more to our history than we know. There's a lot more than we think we know. And on the surface, the percentage of what we think we know and what we do know is so small, we're basically trying to determine what the image of a puzzle is by looking at, you know, if it's a thousand-piece puzzle, looking at one, maybe three pieces, there's no way we can determine what that, that final image is. And that doesn't mean that, you know, all of human history, we, we've not made any progress. It just means there's so much that we really can't understand it all. The best we have is the archaeological evidence. We have the data that's available to us. And then we make assumptions based on that. We presume things based on that. But this is a story, and these are things that we're going to talk about tonight that I believe need to be brought to your attention in the same way that last night we brought you the story of the Idaho National Laboratory, the development of the first nuclear reactor, the powering of the first town by nuclear power, the city or the town of Arco, Idaho, and how although places like Oak Ridge and Hanford and Los Alamos were instrumental in the development of atomic weapons, We don't hear about the Idaho National Lab. We don't hear about what was conducted there for research. And for all of the nuclear testing that went on there for reactors, 50-something reactors, etc., non-nuclear explosive testing, massive explosions that were the largest explosions that weren't nuclear that had been conducted, uh, and all the radiation, all the fallout from the Nevada test site into Idaho, the spent material from the plutonium manufacturing in Hanford, all that taken to Idaho, you would think if you know about ufology, if you know about UFOs or UAPs and their interest seemingly in nuclear devices, nuclear technology, Idaho would be a haven for UFOs. And in fact, Idaho has the highest per capita sightings of unidentified flying objects. We don't hear a lot about that something that needs to be brought to your attention as we did last night on the broadcast. And tonight we're going to do the same thing about ancient civilization, anomalous artifacts, and in particular, the Grand Canyon. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings right here on The Fringe FM. Please go to our website if you enjoy this show, if you want to support us, to help us to do this Monday through Friday, five nights a week. Subscribe to the show. Get access to the archive for all the shows. Download and stream them. Access to the montage, all of our montages, it will continue to grow, and access to the digital copies of each one of my books. When you do that, you support the network, the Fringe FM, you support the secret teachings, 
and you support yourself with entertainment, knowledge, and new perspectives. www.thesecretteachings.info rdgable at yahoo.com is the email. You can also use it for PayPal, facebook.com forward slash thesecretteachings. You can also grab on the website my books individually or in a collection for a discount. Just check out the website. You'll see all the information there. Stay with us. We'll be back after this. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. Do you like The Secret Teachings and Ryan's passionately balanced approach to subjects from food and health to the entertainment industry and the occult? Then check out Ryan's books, available in PDF and softcover with free shipping in the United States. For a practical, balanced, and unique look at the food industry, vaccinations, the theories of disease, and geoengineering, grab a copy of Food Philosophy. For a deeper look into artificial intelligence, UFO cults, black goo, and packs made with the devil in the music and entertainment industry, have a look at the technological elixir. Or look for Ryan's masterpiece, Occult Arcana, an encyclopedia of occult knowledge spanning from mythology and science to symbols and sigils, from ritual magic to voodoo, and from comparative religion and psychic abilities to paranormal activity. All three books can be purchased on the website at thesecretteachings.info, where you can read reviews from other authors and radio hosts around the world. Just visit thesecretteachings.info. And so are we. KTLK. Digital Broadcasting. The Fringe FM. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hear more while supporting the show, visit our website at www.thesecretteachings.info and subscribe to our show archive. As a yearly subscriber, you can download and stream every show after it airs and get access to the digital versions of each one of my books. For the month of June, home of the summer solstice, you can submit a one-time donation of only $45 and get a free physical copy of one of my books with free shipping. For those of you who want to consistently support the show, you can subscribe for a monthly donation and get the same access to the archive. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on the Donation Subscribe tab at the top of the page. If you're just interested in the books, you can find each one of those on the website as well. And if you have any questions, you can email me at rdgable at yahoo.com. Thank you so much for supporting The Secret Teachings over the years. I look forward to keeping you company through all the late nights and early mornings for many years to come. Are you thinking about creating a podcast but don't know where to start? Do you really want to have to learn all this stuff? Individual track processing, enhanced and improved sound quality, edit out those awkward pauses, slips, mix, multiple clips and tracks, back volumes, deliver consistent sound, live podcast production, show notes and SEO optimization, episode upload to hosting, live call screening, balance levels and loudness measure broadcast standards, full branding packages, logo design, podcast site, website, no artwork. Or do you just want to get on the mic and get your ideas out there? The Fringe FM team is here to help with all of your podcasting, audio and video production needs. From simple podcast to audio enhancement, our professional production staff will make it easier than ever to create the podcast you desire. The biggest thing is time. A lot of people that podcast don't have time. It's going to take you months to launch. We did it for you. We could do it tomorrow. Visit thefringe.fm, join our team, and get jump started on your podcast today. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. 
This is Jess Rogie, host of the Rogie Report, and you're listening to the Fringe FM, KTLK Digital Broadcasting. If you want the most unique blend of subjects anywhere on radio, from parapsychology, pop conspiracy, parapolitics, the paranormal, and symbolism, look no further than The Secret Teachings, airing Monday through Friday right here on The Fringe FM. Our topics, themes, and perspectives are not bogged down by rhetoric or ideological collective associations. It's just raw thought and consciousness. Check us out by visiting our website at thesecretteachings.info or the network fringe.fm. your host Ryan Gable and you're listening to the Secret Teachings Radio right here on the Fringe FM. Thank you for tuning in this evening to both the network and the Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact us, rdgable at yahoo.com is the email. That's also how you can subscribe to the show to get access to all the archives, the montages, and my digital books. We have a special this month of June for the summer solstice. $45 gets you access to everything for one year, or you can choose the $10 a month option, but that supports the network, that supports you, and it supports the secret teachings to help keep us on air five nights a week. Last night, we kind of broke open the story of the Idaho National Laboratory and recent events out of Idaho pertaining to radiation exposure going back to the 50s and 60s, not just from nuclear testing, but from material used to produce plutonium at the Hanford Laboratory, part of the Manhattan Project, being stored in Idaho. And the Idaho National Lab conducting its own experiments, open-air nuclear testing, along with accidental exposures to both humans and animals, direct exposure, direct experiments on animals with radiation. And though a lot of people haven't heard of INL, the Idaho National Lab, it was instrumental back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, just as much as it is now in 2021, and the development of new nuclear technologies. And this is stuff in the news today. We don't hear about INL when it comes to things like UFOs. And last night we went into details about that. The show is in the archive at thesecretteachings.info because you would expect, if you know anything about UFO lore, that UFOs are very interested in nuclear technology and it just so happens to be that idaho has the largest number per capita of ufo sightings and ufo reports a story that is not being told that needs to be told and needs to be shared all of which is very easily 
verifiable. Tonight, our attention turns to archaeology. It turns to history. It turns to a war of cultures, even. It turns to a 1909 April 5th Monday evening edition of the Arizona Gazette titled Explorations in Grand Canyon, Mysteries of Immense Rich Cavern Being Brought to Light. The story told in this full-page news article explains the travels of a G.E. Kincaid, an explorer who found an underground citadel within the Grand Canyon during a trip from Green River, Wyoming, down the Colorado in a wooden boat to Yuma several months ago, according to the April 5th news article. It is considered, what he stumbled upon, the oldest archaeological discovery in the United States, one of perhaps the most profound archaeological discoveries in the world, even into modern times. Now, G.E. Kincaid, according to the article, was an archaeologist of the Smithsonian Institute, which financed his explorations, reportedly. What he found at the Grand Canyon was considered of Oriental origin, or possibly from Egypt, tracing back to the time of Ramses. They never specify Ramses I or Ramses II. But nevertheless, ancient Egypt of any age, of any part of the dynasty, Ramses I was the 19th dynasty. We're talking a thousand plus years B.C. Regardless of the specific date, we're talking a very long time ago. Artifacts that date to this period of time that could be Egyptian. They were considered Oriental, which means to the east, the Orient, the east. The demon of the east is Oriens, kind of like Ori-O. In fact, we'll have a little discussion on the Oreo later this week, the Oreo cookie, because of their new advertisement for UFOs and what they call the offering to aliens, this little Oreo cookie. I actually had a friend of mine, Clyde Lewis, call me the other night. He wants to do a show on the Oreo cookie because of that new promotion. But the Orient, that which is to the east. So the story goes pretty much like this. G.E. Kincaid was traveling. Later on in the story, you find out with a number of other men, about 10, 15 men. Another individual, S.A. Jordan, supposedly working for the Smithsonian or alongside of G.E. Kincaid, who was financed by the Smithsonian. In their travels, G.E. Kincaid took an individual expedition. He's going up the Colorado River, going down the Colorado River. He's on the river, and he notices something interesting about the the facing of the Grand Canyon. He notices something that's seemingly inaccessible, but what essentially 
is a cavern. So the story goes that he climbed the 1,486-foot canyon wall. He didn't climb that directly. The 1,486-feet canyon wall is down from the top of the canyon. But he climbs this wall about 42 miles up the river from El Tovar Crystal Canyon. And he looks at the east wall, stains in the sedimentary formation about 2,000 feet above the river bed. No trail, but he finds a way with what he said was great difficulty to climb this to a shelf, which was partially hidden from view from the river, but was still visible this mouth of a cave or a cavern. He specifically said in the Arizona Gazette article back in 1909, quote, During that trip, I went back several hundred feet along the main passage when he got into the cavern till I came to the main crypt in which I discovered the mummies. One of these I stood up and photographed by flashlight. I gathered a number of relics which I carried down the Colorado to Yuma, from whence I shipped them to Washington with details of the discovery, presumably shipping them to the Smithsonian. The only question, as we looked at this in the first hour tonight, the only major question I have about this story is how he was able to climb to this cave. And if the cave were so far away, how did he spot it? I can't imagine that I could spot something like that and be paying that close of attention to, but I'm also not an explorer, and I'm also not a professional explorer at that, being financed by the Smithsonian. I don't know, but I'm not writing the story off because of that. Other than that, there's very little about the story that is at least the questions of it and the sincerity of it, the reality of it, the opposition to this story being true is not really based on any kind of factual information. It's based on assumptions. It's based on presumptions. The reality of the story, it's a lot more real than it is fake. Could it be staged? Could it have been a fake article? Yes, but this was not a common practice for the Arizona uh, Arizona Gazette. It was a common practice at the time just as much as it is now, but the Arizona Gazette published it on a Monday, and there was no additional follow-up on it despite the fact that it was published in a very small handful of other publications as well later on. And in the article, it speaks like what would be considered the initial findings of an archaeological expedition. I don't understand how he was able to carry the relics back down to the river ever after having climbed up. I doubt he would have tossed them down the thousand-plus-foot cliff. However, to suggest that it's absurd that there would be dwellings within the canyon doesn't stand up to reality either because all you have to do is go a little bit north or, excuse me, a little bit south, 
east of the Grand Canyon to Walnut Canyon, just outside Flagstaff, Arizona, and you'll find a Walnut Canyon that is a preserved landscape of a smaller canyon where people indeed did live, and there are still remnants of their residences there today. So he climbs up, he goes in, he finds some stuff, he comes out, and that's really all the initial Kincaid report states, quoting G.E. Kincaid in the Arizona Gazette. The article goes on to describe the passageways and the shrine that he found, a shrine what looks like an idol of some type of oriental god sitting cross-legged with a lotus flower or lily in each hand. The idol, according to the article, most resembles Buddha. Though the scientists, plural, more than just Kincaid, were not certain as to what religious worship it represents. They also found tools of all descriptions made of copper. They found hieroglyphics that were reportedly similar to hieroglyphics that were found in the peninsula of Yucatan, not found in the Orient, which at the time also included Egypt, to the east. A crypt of mummies, as he mentioned in his first Statement, the tomb or crypt in which the mummies are found is one of the largest of the chambers, the walls slanting back at an angle of about 35 degrees. He estimated that about 50,000 people could have lived in this cave. So that gives you some idea of the immensity of this facility, of this structure. This wasn't a small cave that just went back a few feet and there was an idol there, some metal tools, and that was it. See, when I learned about this, I kind of had the impression it was a very small thing that was found and that therefore led me to believe that this sounds more made up. But when I read the article and I researched this a little bit, I find it more and more difficult to believe that this is fabricated. I think that there's something real to it, combine it with other things that are considered hoaxes, the two sunlit artifacts, you tend to begin a new way of thinking and you realize that our history is not what we thought it was as a human race. And in the Americas, the history is much more, as it is around the world, much more ancient and advanced, for lack of a better word, lack of a better term, than we could possibly imagine. And so, as you read this article, From the Shrine to the Mummies, you kind of have this image in your head, if you've ever played the video game Skyrim, it's kind of like a crypt or one of the facilities on Skyrim with the mummies and the iron or various form of metallic tools and weapons and urns where you go in and collect money and various different potions and things like that. And the article concludes with an Indian legend that among the Hopi people, and this is a well-known and for some people a well-received 
legend because of its association with what people call aliens or demons and how popular that is today. But the Hopi tradition about ancestors, their ancestors who lived in an underworld, and in particular an underworld in the Grand Canyon, some form of dissension arose between those ancestors that they called the people of one heart and the people of two hearts, according to the story and according to the article from the Arizona Gazette. And so their chief, one of the chiefs, counseled the rest of the people to leave the underworld, but there was no way out. So the chief, according to legend, caused a tree to grow up and pierced the roof of the underworld, and then the people of one heart climbed out. The story goes on to describe where they went, and it was all in relationship to the Grand Canyon area. So when you look at this story, on the surface it sounds like, sure, that could be made up, but it tells us that on the surface, not because of the article, but because we have been conditioned to believe that this is not in mainline history, so it can't be true. I think most of you know, and most of you are very aware of that. So when you're able to objectively look at this Arizona Gazette article from 1909, and you research just a little bit, you find that the credibility of the article itself grows immensely. And I'll give you two major reasons. One, people say that this was an April Fool's joke. And it seems to be that the explanation for that simply comes because the article was published on April 5th on a Monday. No explanation of why it wasn't published on the 2nd on a Friday or just on April 1st, that Thursday. Why it was published later, why it was published on the front page, and why there was no additional follow-up and why, if it was really just about making money, why there was no additional follow-up or additional similar stories that were then published if this story didn't generate that kind of attention and that kind of profit. The Arizona Gazette was not an article publish, uh, publication service. Not an, It was not a newspaper that published these types of things very often. It published a handful of of comical or or um, fabricated stories uh, to give readers a laugh or a little entertainment, but this was different. This was much larger, little pieces of omitted information that's very important to this story. Now, ultimately, you may think, what is the significance of this story? What is the significance of the article? Well, I've read it. I just quoted some of the pieces of it for you here tonight on the show. And you can find it easily online, or I can send it to you if you email me at rdgable at yahoo.com. What it says to me, outside of the, the typical what we think we know about history and archaeology is wrong and misleading and critical details are, are omitted and it's really about preserving the narrative more than anything it says to me that there is such an incredible wealth of information available at our fingertips. And when we read books and we read 
old news articles like this and we study and we research and we think about it, it not only helps us to expand our, our minds or our perception of the world, it helps to expand that itself. It helps to expand our world and to realize that not only is it what is in front of us, what we can see, taste, touch, smell, and hear, is not the only thing that exists, but it's not the five senses of history and archaeology that defines what humans are as a species, that defines what humans are as a series of civilizations or a series of cultures. There's far more to the story. And the only reason that many people reject this is because, and I've heard stories about this Arizona Gazette article, how it suggests Egyptian artifacts were found in the Grand Canyon. But if you read it, they don't say Egyptian artifacts. They say things that most remind you of Buddha, things that remind you of the Orient, things that, sure, because of hieroglyphics, we think Egypt, but hieroglyphics are pictorial languages. And so a hieroglyphic can be found in Egypt. It can also be found in South America. It can, it can be found anywhere in the world. It's, it's pictorial, and that's all that it is. And the various tools that were found and the mummies and the size of this, this location, you would think, well, if that's the case, this has to be pretty easy to find, right? It has to be pretty easy to identify. How come nobody ever did a follow-up? How come G.E. Kincaid was in essence written out of history. How come this can be covered up? Well, the reality of the situation is the timeline of events and the age of this G.E. Kincaid, this lines up with the Smithsonian and with the time period when you look at the details. Why it would be covered up is anybody's guess. I think you might have a guess because of the narrative that certain historians and archaeologists would like to preserve. We're going to get into that in the next break, but also because there might be a lot more to human history than we think. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings, and there's more after this. Don't go anywhere. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence, but... I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on The Fringe FM. And join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm a last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's thesecretteachings.info and The Fringe FM. If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, and from mythology to alchemy, then why not check out the book Occult Arcana, complete with hundreds of beautiful images. Maybe you want to look at technology, black goo, UFOs, and demonic pacts made in the entertainment industry. Check out the technological elixir, black goo, transhumanism, and invoking AI. Or if that's not enough and you want a practical look at food, lifestyles and ingredients even those in your pet food with free solutions to better health then check out food philosophy 
All three of these books are available in softcover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info. That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. It not only supports The Secret Teachings and Fringe FM, but most importantly, it supports you. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hear more while supporting the show, visit our website at www.thesecretteachings.info and subscribe to our show archive. As a yearly subscriber, you can download and stream every show after it airs and get access to the digital versions of each one of my books. For the month of June, home of the summer solstice, you can submit a one-time donation of only $45 and get a free physical copy of one of my books with free shipping. For those of you who want to consistently support the show, you can subscribe for a monthly donation and get the same access to the archive. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on the Donation Subscribe tab at the top of the page. If you're just interested in the books, you can find each one of those on the website as well. And if you have any questions, you can email me at rdgable at yahoo.com. Thank you so much for supporting The Secret Teachings over the years. I look forward to keeping you company through all the late nights and early mornings for many years to come. They all say the same thing. They're all like, you know, over the last four years, everything good that happened was because of us. And we would have done more good stuff if it wasn't for those guys. And then the Democrats go, oh, we did all the good stuff. It's like you're all working for the same guy. Want more of The Fringe? Check out thefringe.fm for more information on your favorite shows. Also, don't forget to check out the Fringe mobile app or the other ways you can tune in through the Paranormal Radio app and talk stream live. Where the normal and paranormal collide, it's the Fringe FM. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is KTLK Digital Broadcasting, the Fringe FM. This is The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com or find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Secret Teachings. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. I'm Clyde Lewis from Ground Zero Radio, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Hi, it's David Childress from Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Music tonight, White Bat Audio and Secession Studios. You can find them on YouTube. They were kind enough to let us utilize their music for the secret teachings. That's what you're listening to right now. I'm Ryan Gable, your host. Our final segment this evening. Thank you for joining us. G.E. Kincaid, a name that might ring a bell for some of you, supposedly went to the Grand Canyon in the early 20th century. And what he found has really baffled the minds of archaeologists and historians and even the common person 
so much that since around that time period and when the report came out in 1909 that G.E. Kincaid had stumbled across, stumbled upon a cave, a cavern within the Grand Canyon that contained a massive underground citadel, a massive facility, essentially, of an ancient people who clearly had a social order, clearly had a religion, a god, very Buddha-like in nature, lotus flowers, hieroglyphics, tools made of metal, mummies. Now, you might think on the surface, if this was real, there would be some evidence of it today. However, it's well known that in archaeology, if the find doesn't align with the official narrative, it's often left behind or it's covered up. In some cases, there are sites and there are artifacts that get through the cracks. If it's a larger site, it's really hard to cover that up. It's one thing to throw out an arrowhead or a vase or a jar. It's another thing to throw out Go Beckley Tepe. Another thing to throw out Stonehenge. You can't really do that. So you might think, well, if there is a cover-up organized by government, organized by universities, organized by the Smithsonian, why is it that there are still anomalous artifacts, anomalous structures? Well, it's not because of whether or not there's a cover-up. It's because we don't have all the answers to our history. That's why. The giant stone spheres, some dating back to 600 A.D., are found all over Costa Rica. They're known locally as Las Bolas, the balls. The work of a pre-Columbian civilization, experts today really can't figure it out. There's the Antikythera Mechanism, a 2,000-year-old device found in the wreckage of a Greek cargo ship preceding similar devices by a 1,000 years. It's what amounted to a computer with gears that gave specific details about the environment around us. In essence, it was originally thought to be a navigational astrolabe. Some believe it's a highly intricate, very meticulously designed astronomical device, an astronomical calendar, 2,000 years old. Then there's the Shangzi province of China back in the 70s, the Quinchi Huang tomb with all the warriors. They go by the name of Terracotta 
the Terracotta Army. Ancient animal traps, the Nazca Lions, the Great Pyramids, the Shroud of Turin, and so much more. The Klerksdorp Spheres, the Genetic Disc, big circles that nobody can really explain. Various forms of Stonehenge all over the world. Skulls with holes in them. That, scientists say, can only be caused by a high-velocity projectile like a bullet coming from Africa hundreds of thousands of years ago. There's Gobekli Tepe. Just a percentage of that has been uncovered. There are things like the Voynich Manuscript. Temples that defy the laws of construction as we know them today. Things that supercomputers would have trouble putting together. You put all this into the equation and you realize that there actually is a tremendous amount of historical evidence that is available in the present as physical evidence, places you can go, things that you can see in a museum. Maybe if you're lucky, you can hold them or touch them. That not only rewrite history and what we think we know about human civilization today and in the past, in fact, it doesn't rewrite anything. It writes human history and what we know about the present and the past. It writes it. It doesn't rewrite it. Historians and archaeologists and those just who don't have this information are the ones that are writing and in some cases deceptively rewriting history and trying to create a narrative that aligns with their religious convictions or their academic convictions because of money, because of ego, because of something to this effect or something otherwise not considered. Now, I don't believe it's some grand conspiracy. I just think there is dogma and doctrine. And I think that dogma and doctrine is so entrenched, it is so protected, that there's very little, no matter how obvious the evidence makes it, there's very little that will overturn those doctrines and dogmas. So, here in the month of June, the summer solstice Letha, 2021, we await a report from the federal government about UFOs or UAPs. And we wish, we hope, we desire for the federal government of the United States of America to acknowledge the existence of extraterrestrials and to acknowledge, as they did in 2013, that Area 51 exists, but that there are UFOs or UAPs, as the Navy would prefer to call them. Calling incidences and reports incursions, a word that means invasion, an invasion of airspace, an invasion of military operations, top secret in some cases. This report is something that people are so excited about. And in 
a year from now, in 2022, who knows what this report details. It may be a total dud on the surface. It may be worded in a way and likely will be worded in a way where there will be omissions and there will also be acknowledgments that aren't direct acknowledgments. But we're waiting for that report because we want authorities to confirm for us that aliens are real, that UFOs are real. We don't need the government, though, to tell us this. We don't need the government to tell us that UFOs and aliens are real. In fact, officials briefed on the findings of this government report, and according to the New York Times on June 3rd, 2021, the U.S. has found no evidence of alien technology in these flying objects, but they also say they can't rule it out. Now, I believe this is part of a more complex narrative. What that ultimately is and what that will ultimately bring us to is left up to those who wish to speculate. I will also speculate on these things as I have on other episodes of The Secret Teachings. But what I'm getting at and how this relates to G.E. Kincaid in 1909 and how this relates to the Smithsonian Anomalous artifacts, anomalous structures and facilities that are uncovered. How this relates to history and archaeology and the human experience, human history, human civilization, culture, society. Is that we wait for the government to tell us UFOs are real or they're not real. Aliens are real or they're not real. And likewise, there are many of us who, if we might be concerned, we might be interested in UFOs and aliens and know about Area 51, Area 52, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Roswell. Maybe we know about the Manhattan Project. We know about Oak Ridge, Hanford, Los Alamos. But we don't know much about the Idaho National Laboratory. We don't know that nuclear reactors were tested out there. Fifty of them plus were built Over a couple of decades, nuclear research is being conducted there today. It goes back to the Cold War and before. The research that was conducted there during the Second World War out in the desert of Idaho, non-nuclear explosives, massive explosions, non-nuclear radiological testing, contamination, accidents, has poisoned the water, has poisoned the aquifer that the laboratory sits on. And all of this is done, all this nuclear research in public view. You can drive right by the lab. It's not like Area 51. And there are very few who know about this laboratory and its relationship to UFOs. Not because there's speculation, some kind of wreckage was taken there, but because aliens historically... UFOs historically have been greatly attracted to nuclear reactors, nuclear missile silos, nuclear energy. For whatever the reason, lots of theories, they're concerned, they're aware, they're trying to prevent or trying to help something, someone. But did you know Idaho is the number one state in the United States for UFO sightings? We don't need the government to tell us that. We can just read the reports of independent groups that put all that information together. 
It's pretty simple. Mainstream media reports on that. Why? Maybe because Idaho has some of the highest cases of downwinders. Idaho has some of the most advanced nuclear research being conducted there, and it has since at least the 1950s, 1940s, all the way into today. Idaho has the highest per capita sightings of UFOs, and you just don't hear about Idaho or the INL, and you don't hear much about UFOs in relation to that. And I question why, and I question why we're concerned about this government report. And I question, in relationship to G.E. Kincaid and the Smithsonian and archaeology and history, why we hear a lot about certain archaeological finds. Yes, the Baghdad Battery is an incredible find. And that is rarely discussed. TV shows have popularized it. Books and authors and researchers, investigators, explorers have popularized it. But there's a lot more. And if we take into consideration the story of what G.E. Kincaid supposedly found in the Grand Canyon, and we maneuver through all the possible ways in which this could have been a fake story, and we find that in actuality, it's probably a very, very true story. Maybe part of it is fabricated even. But regardless of that, the evidence is overwhelming. And we don't need the Smithsonian or the government to tell us that there are anomalous artifacts that do not fit into the dogma and the directive of the Smithsonian and major universities. But the U.S. government will tell you, the U.S. government's National Park Service will tell you there are around 1,000 admitted, 1,000 admitted known caves in the Grand Canyon. They officially tell you that only 335, as of data from 2020, have been officially recorded. That leaves over 600 I mean, out of 1,000, 335 have been explored. That leaves over 600. About three-quarters, about 75% roughly, have not been explored, have not been recorded. And as far as I know, only one is even open for what amounts to public exploration. So it would be easy to hide something. But even if you just throw the Arizona Gazette story from 1909 with G.E. Kincaid out the window, it doesn't discount the endless anomalous finds, such as a tiled floor structure that was preserved. It was found alongside of a mastodon being excavated in Kentucky, a floor constructed by humans with tiles. I'm not talking about something from Home Depot or Lowe's, but a tiled floor, an ancient floor, that dates back at least to 10,500 B.C. Minimum, minimum, minimum. That tells you a lot. Researchers and authors and explorers from David Childress to Graham Hancock to Jared Murphy, who's more independent 
and probably not as well known as a Childress or a Hancock. I like Jared Murphy's work. I've read through most of his book, It's Not Aliens, It's Us, and his book suggests it's not ancient aliens that are responsible for these incredible structures and the incredible evidence and either it's direct or it's circumstantial that can be used to identify direct evidence of advanced technologies that, that, that human civilization advanced to a point and then something happened, natural or otherwise, that eliminated human civilization as we know it or as it was in the past. We're finding the remnants of that today, a human civilization that might have been millions of years old. And what G.E. Kincaid supposedly found in the Grand Canyon reads, if you read the article, like a scene from the video game Skyrim. But if you remember the video game Skyrim with the crypts and the underground facilities, you'll also remember that there were some facilities that you would come across in the game that were more advanced than the time period of the game, where you would find these ancient advanced artifacts, I believe you pronounce them the Dwimmer, an advanced civilization that left machines that were still active underneath of the ground in these underground caverns and cities. It just kind of sounds like the video game Skyrim. And I'm saying that because I played that game. It's one of my favorite video games, even though I don't play a lot of games. And that just visually gives you or at least gives me an idea of the Kincaid story and the possibilities that exist in places like caverns that are not explored today. Things that have been literally, quite literally, buried. Not intentionally. And I think a great piece of evidence for this, because I've had people tell me, why would somebody build a what amounts to a city inside of a a cave, you know, on the Grand Canyon wall. Well, it's because just go to Walnut Canyon. There's ample evidence. There are dwellings that still are there preserved today of a people that cultivated corn and squash on the outer rim of the canyon, lived in the canyon, though, presumably to bolster a defensive against nature and against other tribes. And it's a very incredible place. You could go or you can read about it if you're unable to ever get to Walnut Canyon. And it confirms, as I'm sure there are countless other examples, that building something into the side of a canyon, a natural cave or cavern, would be quite logical and, in fact, quite common in what we consider to be ancient times. We can't look at the past in regards to how we see and how we interpret the present or the future for that matter. And we don't need the government or the Smithsonian or a pipe-smoking professor with a beard and a suit to tell us that something like the G.E. Kincaid story is true or that it's false. And when we're told that things like this are false or a hoax, it's usually based on dogma 
It's based on an assumption and it's based on an absolute and literal rejection of something that the mind considers a threat to itself, an effect that it has on the ego. That doesn't mean we should believe everything and live in a fantasy, but the evidence is overwhelming as it is for unidentified flying objects. That doesn't mean everything that is reportedly found that's anomalous or strange or whatever is real or fabricated. It doesn't mean every UFO is alien or government mind control or some secretive project. What it does mean is that when you weed through, when you get rid of the weeds and you find those stories that just don't die and there's just enough credibility to defend against the obliteration of that story from history, something that continues to persist because it has traction. You find enough like that, and boy, oh boy, is there enough from UFOs and UAPs to anonymous artifacts and things that are much harder to cover up, like Gobekli Tepe's. You find a whole other world, and you don't need that government, that Smithsonian, that university, that professor, or any of your arrogant friends to tell you what they think they know about the world. You don't need a think tank or a bunch of senators or congressmen to sit around and make a decision that this will become reality. This is real. This is not. You don't need a ministry of truth. And you don't need to come to a final conclusion. You may believe, of course, whatever you wish. I hope that you take this into consideration tonight as a philosophical view as a practical view to these things, and you realize that there are all of these intimate, interwoven connections, and you realize that this story about the Grand Canyon and G.E. Kincaid, you can go read it, believe it, don't believe it, doesn't really bother me one way or another. I tend to believe it, in part. I think it's more complicated than that. There's so much more about history and archaeology we don't know, we don't think about, we've never heard of. I'm sure many of you could enlighten me. But I don't need the Smithsonian. I don't need a university, and I don't need the government to tell me this is real or this is not real. And I don't need the Smithsonian, in essence, or a university or the government to tell me that UFOs are real or that UAPs are real. These things are real. It's a real story. It's a real object. It's unidentified. What it means is something else. And we can't determine what it means until there's an investigation. When we condemn things without investigation, that is the height of ignorance. When we accept things without any sort of investigation, that is the height of ignorance. I implore you not to be ignorant. I implore you to read, to learn, to investigate, to research, and to do so with a balanced perception of the world. You will discover incredible things, and that's what we bring you here Hopefully, that's my intention anyway, on The Secret Teachings. If you enjoy this show, you want to hear more of this show, you'd like to support this show, we are literally listener-supported, and we have been for a decade now. Five years professionally bringing you incredible research, incredible perspectives, and unique new topics every night of the week, right here on The Fringe FM. Go to our website, www.thesecretteachings.info. 
subscribe to the archive for all the shows. That will get you access to the montages and the digital books on the website. You can do that for one month at a time for $10. A lot of people do that to support the show every month. If you'd like a big deal, though, our summer solstice deal is $45 for all of that and a free physical book, your choice, Occult Arcana, Food Philosophy, The Technological Elixir. You can also buy those books on the website individually or in a collection for a discount. It's cheap, and I try to work with you to support the show and to support you and to support the Fringe FM. www.thesecretteachings.info, rdgable at yahoo.com. That's the email for PayPal, for questions, and for anything else that you'd like to share with us. The network Fringe FM, and we thank the Fringe for hosting us. I want to thank you for tuning in. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy. Continue to explore, and we'll talk to you on the next broadcast right here on The Secret Teachings. I'm Ryan Gable on The Fringe FM. Time's up. Time may be up for tonight's broadcast of The Secret Teachings, but don't worry, you can still catch us Monday through Friday right here exclusively on The Fringe FM. You can also subscribe to the show and montage archive while grabbing my books at thesecretteachings.info. To get in contact with us, you can email the show at rdgable at yahoo.com. Stay tuned to KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM.